welcome to our Tag One team talk on how to grow and support and fund your open source project. We have a really special guest with us today, Brian Haberbeck, the founder of ProsMirror, CodeMirror, and Acorn. Open source has really just exploded, but it's been very challenging for projects to reach sustainability. And so we at Tag One, being major contributors to open source projects, wanted to do talks with folks like Ryan who have started very successful projects to get their insight, to encourage our listeners to do more to support the projects they use, especially companies that have the funding to do so and that are profiting off of this. We also want to help founders of open source projects be more successful and reach their goals. I'm Michael Myers, Managing Director at Tag One Consulting, and joining us today for this conversation are Kevin Yans, the founder of YJS, which is an open source framework that enables collaboration in any application, including CodeMirror and ProseMirror, uh, and Fabian Franz, our VP of Technology at Tag One, who's the core maintainer and framework manager for Drupal 7, which powers around 3% of the top 1 million sites and has around 10,000 open source contributors. Be sure to check out part one, which was a brief background and a lot of talk about growing your community of users and contributors. What we're going to focus on in part two is funding your open source project, which I think is something that everyone in open source really struggles with, and it's a huge challenge. Brian, are you working on these projects full-time? You know, is, is your work funded? Yeah, I'm working on this on my various projects together altogether they're full-time for me or almost I occasionally do some consulting just mostly to get some like direct experience with what people are doing with it and uh, possibly some new inspiration but mostly it's just the open work and at this point I'm funded properly like it took a long time and yeah, it wasn't something that happened overnight, but now I can comfortably live off the open source work. That's awesome. Congratulations. It, it, like, there's so many amazing developers out there like yourself that could be making a lot of money in the commercial marketplace that out of passion and dedication, you know, make a fraction of, of what they can and should be making in open source. So it's, it's super exciting to, you know, see folks like yourself that are, that are able to do that. I'm really curious, you know, where does this funding come from? Is it from individuals? Is it from corporations? How does that break down? It's mostly corporations. I've like, I'm actively shying away from like individual enthusiast contributions because A, they usually need their money themselves. B, they don't set up big contributions. And uh, C, I had some bad experiences with people who donated five euros to a crowdfunder at some point and then believed I should do exactly what they expected of me. And that's just not something I'm interested in managing. It's, it's for me, it's been much more rewarding to deal with companies who are, who have my projects, my software as some essential part of their, uh, their systems and are interested enough to keep it healthy that they, uh, me some more. Like it's very different for projects. Acorn is bringing in, I think, exactly nothing. But 
Cosmere and Codemirror both have a bunch of serious sponsors, which, uh, yeah, help me pay my bills. You mentioned this a little bit in the first segment, but other sources, government grants, nonprofit institutions, is there anything available on that front that you've been able to leverage? Uh, I've done a bunch of successful crowdfunders. Usually when I start something big or after I've started and gotten it to a point where it can be uh, demoed properly, I try a crowdfunder and they've worked out pretty well so far. It's also a bit of a stressful endeavor when you set a deadline and then you just have to hope that actually the money is going to come in. But yeah, so far I've been lucky with those. And also, I'm selling paper copies of my book. Like the book itself is open, but uh, it's also available as paperback, and that also brings in quite a bit of money. Awesome. Is there a trick to getting people or rather organizations to fund you? Have you found that something in particular works? Is there an ask, or is it largely companies coming to you and saying, you know, hey, I'm Atalassian, I use this product for a major, you know, you know, a revenue driver, you know, I, I want your help and support. Here's some money. What's working really well for me is to very clearly state on the website, this is legally open source, but if you're using this commercially, there's a social expectation that you help fund me to kind of immediately set the expectations at the right level. I've started doing that with ProseMirror and it really made a difference, at least like uh, this is all anecdotal, of course, because I didn't launch two projects and see uh, which formulation worked best. But um, I think that contributed a lot. And then I've, I've set up a website where people can just set up monthly contributions using credit cards through Stripe to uh, make that really easy. There's a bunch of companies that prefer that way, and there's others that want like an actual formal maintenance contracts, which I also do. And then, yeah, with some companies, I, I've set stuff up in that way. Have you ever thought of exploring like a dual licensing model? You, you talked about that social expectation. What about enforcing it? I, I seriously thought about this. I have a blog post about this very team. But it has some really nasty side effects, like I need to maintain copyrights on the entire thing. And if I drop off a cliff tomorrow and vanish, that's a really nasty situation for people using my software to be in, because then it's like, yeah, people can't just continue where I left off because it's, it's locked behind a license that doesn't allow that. Everyone would have to assign copyright to me. I don't really want to be in that position. So yeah, I decided against that. That's a model that works for some people as well, but I think MIT licenses are just, or like similar style licenses are just so attractive in that they make it extremely flexible what people can do with the code. And I think that's a big driver of adoption as well. If you just can be confident that at least this code is available to use always as I see fit. I would personally be very hesitant to uh, adopt something that's GPL with some dual licensing scheme because, uh, yeah, it's legally a lot more tricky. You know, 
again, in segment one, we talked a lot about, you know, your, your love of plugins. What about an open core approach with, you know, paid add-ons? Has that ever been something that you've thought about or? Yeah, I've considered it, but I think that's quickly put your, like, your, what is, like, perverse incentives where you are, like, pushed to put as much stuff in the closed site because it helps people, like, it helps convince people to pay for your stuff and then it becomes less and less attractive for people who are just using it in some hobby project or something. And I also, a big motivation for me is that people can just use my software even if they don't have a cent. And yeah, if they just get some crippled or minimal version of it, then that whole point is is pretty much broken. The other part is also um, it often leads to forks and the, you create essentially your own competition with it. And then you have two two competing solutions on the market, etc. And yes, it can be a nice money-making model, obviously. But I also believe that given the choice between something that is pure open source, for example, Postman with YJS versus something that is more closed source, even though some part of it is free, I prefer the the, the free S and free software and free S and beer. <laughs> right. Do you think that I don't know what the right, I don't want to say open source is broken, but you know, this, this funding challenge, you know, do you think that this is sort of the Achilles heel of open source? And, you know, if, if you could wave a magic wand, is there, you know, some way that, that you could fix it or an ideal way that it would work for you? No, I, I mean, I would like to see more software maintenance being funded as a public good, but I don't think we are anywhere close to the social structures that would support such a thing. And it's a really tricky way, like, especially at early stages of projects, it's really hard to see what would be worth funding. And yeah, at that point, something that could become something huge and great if it was funded uh, from an early time often doesn't get there because people burn out or lose interest. But it's really hard to make that call at that point, like what should be funded and where should the money come from? And uh, yeah, so it's definitely an unsolved problem as far as I know. But yeah, at least I'm very happy that the awareness of uh, this isn't just something that exists because these people like to program and they don't need to eat. Uh, like that people are aware that if they're using open source, it would be good if they contributed something back. Uh, that, that's been a big change in the past years, I think. Uh, Go ahead, Kevin. So, something really interesting is like most open source projects, most larger open source projects are funded by companies, Google, Facebook, and Examples are VS Code, for example, and they all build their own silos of software and it's open source and you can use it, but it's actually really theirs. And there are a few open source projects like CodeMirror and ProseMirror that are actually created by individuals that just like to create software and that are openly funded. And I think like, like I feel personally pretty, I want to be like, you what you're doing because you are successful in what you are doing 
how you receive funding and how you interact with the community. And I think it's like how it should be, but it's really hard to get there where you are. And yeah, I would also like to know or discuss like how, how to get there better and what you would think are the best ways to even that path for newcomers who want to build their own software. Yeah, as I said, I think the, 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 that position of starting a new project is just really a difficult one. And I think at that point, if you're mostly hoping to turn it into a profitable venture that might, yeah, I'm not sure if that's like, there's so many projects being started and most of them never go anywhere. So the chances are, of course, if you can afford to, like if you have the, both the skills and the, the like financial position to just build it out for years and years, and you're actually solving a problem that people want. And I think you'll get adoption at some points, definitely, but it's like quite a slog to get there, both in terms of actually building it and in terms of people actually knowing that you exist and using it. Like, that's also definitely an unsolved pro problem, just finding software in the space. Like if it's not famous and you haven't already heard of it, then it's really hard. Like if you search NPM, it's 99% garbage and it's, yeah, there might be something good there, but you never find it if you don't have some other connection to it. Yes, uh, you go ahead, please. It's interesting. It feels a little bit like a startup problem where some startups are funded, others are not. And but you know by default that most startups just just straight up fail. And I think that's that's pretty pretty fascinating. This is kind of the exact same dilemma here in the open source space of starting something and then not knowing if it will succeed. I think that's why open source for fun don't need to eat. It's a side is still a viable model too, in that uh, you do something completely different. You just do the open source project on site. And so some of the most successful projects kind of started because someone had a problem and they solved it for themselves and that was good enough. And then they just contributed it. And if others had the same problem, they were also solving it in that. And sure, the other part is obviously marketing how much how much audience you have how much people use it and how much marketing you can have and and if there's a product market fit that i think applies to open source software as much as to commercial or startup software yeah i yeah. love that you mentioned that i i've been this whole time that's that's the image i've had in the back of my mind that this is that's what my background is this is essentially getting a company off the ground but it's harder to raise funding and the return on investment is likely to be lower. The failure rate is higher. You know, it's, it's extremely challenging, but you know, it, it is very similar. You got to market it, get it off the ground, get users paid. Yeah. And I, I, like the amount of investment doesn't have to be huge compared to what many commercial undertakings would require. Um, if you're, for example, just adapting something that you already solved for yourself. And I think it's very important also that you just enjoy that kind of system building so that it's not just like doing something against your will. Then like a relatively small amount of work, if you're like able to, to, to build something the way you want, can pay off for a lot of people as well and can like skyrockets 
before you've like put years and years and years into it. But yeah, it depends. Like it could, and it could also just be ignored forever. Uh, it's hard to predict. That's I guess, yeah, the same problem that startups have. Have you noticed anything that open source project founders have done? Is is there a common thread? You know, something that's you know might make a project more likely to to get funding, to get support. You know, like you said, they're they're putting the setting social expectations up front, or not really. Yeah. So, just asking is definitely something that people didn't used to do at all, and has now become socially acceptable and definitely helps. But beyond that, I don't really know. Of course, it's easy if you have somewhere to channel the money. Like, for example, Acorn is. There's three official maintainers, and we're just kind of maintaining this together. And there's no real central place where people could sponsor it. So obviously, no one is sponsoring it, and that makes sense because, yeah, I definitely don't want the headache of setting up a foundation or whatever for uh, this. Why do you think? You know, you said that a lot of your funding comes from uh, companies, and you, and you don't want it from individuals, which I love. But there are a lot of companies that use your software. Why do you think? So? Some choose to support you and others don't. I so I couldn't hear you very well because the connection was kind of bad. But I think you ask why some companies contribute and others don't, right? Yeah, exactly. Why is it that some companies are contributing to support you financially, but other companies are benefiting just as much and not doing it? It's awareness of like some people just npm install and never think about it again they aren't even aware that it would be a thing to sponsor the software they use but also yeah company policy some companies don't even talk to developers by official policy and just would never think about sponsoring and others are really aware of this and like pushing this as an official policy so i think it's it's also very much a question of what the decision makers yeah what they believe in and how they feel about this kevin fabian any questions from you guys no i mean there's a lot to discuss here and this is such an interesting topic different ways to explore and just so you know marine we we were looking at different people how they fund their projects and it has been really interesting to know how you get got started and i think what you did was like getting uh, funding from the government or from organizations and there are a lot of them where you can apply for funding and another way is to ask companies for regular funding or for specific projects that's also what you did and you're right i'm also really hesitant to just ask people hey could you give me some money and uh, it's it's just awkward and uh, i feel with you so uh, yeah this has been a big motivator personally for me to do that more i think it's also a question of uh, what kind of project you're doing so to get back to acorn which is just like infrastructure that's used everywhere and not very crucial to anybody's system yeah you could just swap in another parser and continue if you really need to it's a difference is it much more 
difficult proposition to get people to pay for that than, for example, ProSmirror, which is a very unique system and very like up the top of the dependency chain. Like people are directly working with it and they know that if this goes away, they have a problem. I think YJS is kind of in that space as well. Like it would be, it's going to be a pretty central part of someone's system if people use it. So that, that already makes it easier to ask for money, I think. Right. Yeah, and, and it does. Like I, I'm hoping for people to use my software and when they like to communicate a lot, like I like to set up sponsoring contracts just so we can, can get into meetings because I don't want to waste my time without getting paid for that. So they get a lot of value from my software at a really small price and I can continue developing it. And this works best with people getting started with YJS. It's, it's a bit frustrating when companies still use my software and just stop funding me because it works and they don't need my help anymore. And like I always, it, there are these companies that just don't have enough money and there are really rich companies that basically say, oh no, our organization is so complex. We can't get, give you funding because um, HR doesn't want to do that. And it's like, you have billions of euro, like or dollar or whatever. And you can just spare $500 or something like that. That is my uh, support contracting rate. And uh, it really makes a huge difference for companies asking me and telling me, hey, I'm using your software. And I think it's the same for you, as you said. And people get a lot of value from you. Right. But I think freeloaders are kind of part of the value proposition of open source. Like, mm. My stuff wouldn't have any level of reach without being open source. So it's, yeah, I just, I, I, I try not to get like indignified or angry about it. It's, it's, I gave it for free. I gave it away for free. It's can expect people to use it for free as well. Uh, if that's the legal situation. Now, that That's com like, that's completely fair, but you get, have to get into that mindset and that's not really easy. Sometimes I feel. Like just, just last year, I was like, for two months, I was pretty frustrated with basically getting little sponsorships and all that stuff. And it's really demotivating because you put so much energy in it and get so little out. And I guess if you have the right mindset and you ask people and you communicate with companies, you ask for funding from organizations, you can get enough funding if you really want to. Yeah, but as I said, it took a long time, uh, like yeah. for the longest part of the lifetime of Codemirror, for example, I was just dependent on consulting uh, work and other stuff. Uh, and this was just a marginal extra uh, income. How long did it take? Like 10 years? That's a good question. I think it's been like four years now where it's actually like my main income is so, no, probably more. Uh, so uh, let's say six years out of a lifetime of 10 years. So the first four years was just a side project without much uh, actual financial compensation. Do you think a cryptographic currency could solve such problems in the future? Like people automatically paying like a micropayment license fee for downloading from npm or something like that i'm extremely skeptical of cryptocurrency solutions to social problems um 
as I said, I don't think, at least for me, micropayments by whoever has never been much of an actual game changer. What actually produces some money is just like companies that I actually talk to who set up a monthly sponsorship because my software is part of their products. Yeah, I don't really see a system like that changing much there. Ryan, this this was awesome. Uh, you know, we, we covered so many things, you know, learning to be okay with the fact that the majority of your users are going to be freeloaders, you know, and, and just making peace with that, learning how to say no to people, you know, and protecting your time, you know, being really good about asking for support, you know, and, and, and just setting your own expectations that it's going to take time. You know, this is, this is really hard to do, but it can be really rewarding, and it's been, you know, very successful for some. You know, Kevin, it's been amazing to watch you, you know, ask for support and interact with people. You know, I, I think you're on the right track, and it's exciting to see that grow. I thank you all for joining us. This was a really great conversation for our listeners, uh, don't forget to check out uh, the first segment, you know, background info and growing your community and user base and contributors. All the links we mentioned are going to be in the footnotes. If you'd like to talk, please remember to upvote, subscribe, and share. You can check out our past team talks at tagone.com slash tagteamtalks. As always, we would love your feedback on the show and ideas on future talks. You can reach us at tagteamtalks at tagone.com. A huge thank you to our guests. This was an awesome episode. And thank you to all our listeners for joining us. Take care.